Yo, what's up? This is Jacoby from Papa Roach. This is Ryan Leaf. This is Rich Roll, and you're listening to Sober Guy Radio. Thank you for tuning in today. Thanks to humans for bringing us in. Thanks to you for supporting the show. Always good to be here today. Uh, have you checked out the I Am Sober app? If not, you can go to that soberguy.com right now. You can download it there for free. I Am Sober is helping thousands of dudes and chicks just like you get sober and stay sober. Best of all, this app is free. You can get an overview of your sobriety milestones. You can see how much money you saved. I think I've saved like over $30,000 not blowing it on drugs, cocaine, booze. I don't do it anymore. And I, I track it with the I Am Sober app. And uh, you also get daily notifications. Help keep you on track. Help keep you headed in the right direction. You can get it. I already said it, that soberguy.com. You got the iTunes app store link there, the Google Play store link there. You can also go directly to the IamSoberApp.com website and you can download it there for free. So check it out. It's a great tool. It's not going to save your ass and uh, pull you out of the depths of anything. You're going to have to put the work in to do that, but it is a, a great tool to add to your toolbox of tools to help keep you sober. So check it out there, IamSoberApp.com. That's IamSoberApp.com. All right, today's guest is Todd Zalkins, and super pumped to talk to Todd today. Uh, Todd is an inter, uh, interventionist and state-certified drug and alcohol counselor. Uh, his story became the subject of the award-winning documentary film, The Long Way Back, the story of Todd Z-Man Zalkins, um, and it premiered at multiple film festivals uh, just, a, just a few months back, I think, uh, and the film was picked up for worldwide distribution. It's available for release on Amazon, iTunes, and DVD. We'll make sure we put all the links in the show notes. And I personally watched this documentary uh, as soon as it was sent over to me. Um, and man, there, there's a, there's a couple, couple times in there that, um, I laughed my ass off and I, um, I cried a little bit in it too, because there's some very, um, emotional and, and, you know, you guys know that listen to the show, I'm about as, as real as it gets. I, I always try to live by that code. And this documentary was very real, um, with comedy, with, with, um, with, with some heartfelt stuff. Great thing. So we're going to talk about that today. Uh, Todd, Thanks for coming on the show today, man. I'm, I'm super pumped to have you. How are you? Man, I'm doing well, Shane. Thank you so much for taking the time to have me, man. Absolutely. Good. good, man. Good. You have a, you have a shitload of projects going on, I noticed, too. I, I had a little list of them here. Um, you got the Z-Man podcast. Uh, you have Dying for Triplicate. Um, that's a book you put out. You have, um, you have the, um, uh, the Noel Family Foundation which I want yeah. to get into too. And then of course the, um, the long way back film uh, documentary about your time there. Where do we start here? Let's, um, let's kind of uh, jump into you. Give us a little background about yourself. I think you're, you're probably one of the dudes that's done the most drugs that I've ever um, had the chance to speak to that's still alive. So we may get into that a little bit too. Okay. Well, you, you <laughs> tell me where you want to start. You, what, you, you want to talk about the uh, breaking out the abacus and calculating the amount of narcotics? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we could stay away from that, but I mean, uh, well, you know, I, uh, you know, recovery saved my life, man. Yeah, yeah. And um, and, and you know, I'm 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 forever thankful thankful to be on this side of the grass. You know, uh, yeah. 
it, it took a long time, you know, to get here to uh, to get rid of uh, something that was killing me on a daily basis. And you know, I I never thought I never thought that I would I guess be some type of example for for for, for young men and young women, or maybe some older guys and older women too. But uh, nor did I ever think I'd become an interventionist or a public speaker. Yeah. You know, I yeah. I just I wanted to not die, and I wanted to not have my mom get that phone call that her son died of drug addiction. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, um, you're from you're, you're from Long Beach, California. Um, I'm a I'm a big uh, big music guy myself. Musician, I've always loved music. I've had a thing for it since I was a kid. Uh, growing up listening to Willie Nelson and Johnny Cash and um, Journey and Phil Collins. I mean, all kinds of stuff growing up. And as I got older, started getting into the punk rock scene. And we had um, from Vacaville, California, we had Papa Roach, a well-known band who came out of here. So we, we grew up going to shows and underground shows. And of course, um, who doesn't know about Sublime? Uh, with your roots uh, coming out of Long Beach, um, take us back to, uh, to, to the early days uh, for you. Um, and, and, and what that was like just as Todd, and then how did you kind of go into uh, some of those years with Sublime? You know, growing up here in Long Beach, we, we had a special scene, you know, uh, growing up in, in the Belmont Shore area. We, it's, a, it's a little beach town. It, it's kind of gotten crazier as the years have gone on. You know, uh, we have a little bit more of a corporate setting in, in the shore area now, but Back in the day, in the late 70s, early 80s, the punk rock scene was was more underground. It was backyard keg parties. It was it was it was it was a thing where you really knew everybody. And we had this we had this kind of a we had this thing where a lot of people played music, and and a lot of my friends jammed. And they were there's a shitload of really good players. Yeah. And so these offshoots of just guys jamming in garages and and early on you know we had just this this handful of really freaking awesome bands you know uh before sublime we had these these punk bands like the falling idols of course tsol was the leader of the pack and, yeah. and uh tex and the horseheads and and um and rhino 39 and 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 bands like that but uh you know um my relationship with the guys if you want to talk about the guys in sublime you know we just we grew up in the same neighborhood. Hmm. We grew up going to these parties of, of kind of being in awe of these guys that were killing it at the ages of 18, 19. You got to remember, we're only 15 and 16. Yeah. And, but Bud and those guys, they're already playing music. Hmm. You know, they're already playing. And so next thing you know, they're, they're, they're playing the backyard parties and recording and, and putting on <laughs> wax, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one thing leads to another and they're playing uh, bigger parties and, and playing outside of the city. And next thing you know, they're selling over a hundred thousand units out of the trunk of their car of 40 the freedom. You know, it was one of the, it was really special though, early on. Yeah. Like su- super special. Like you felt like you're part of something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of as, as that, that scene or that um, community is being creative. Is that kind of, or being created? Is that kind of what you're referring to? As as you kind of watch it evolve, um, there's something there that you can't you can't ever get back. You know, well, as far as it being a capsule in time, it was just if you were there, you were there. And, yeah. and there's it's funny, uh, Mike Mark, Mike Mark, who was a, a gentleman 
who actually records my podcast, he's a first-generation punker. He's a guy who was in Texan the Horseheads, and he's kind of a – I consider him one of, the, one of the most fabulous musicians to ever, ever uh, uh, come from here. And so he's first-generation. Then there's second-generation guys, and there's third- and fourth-generation guys. And so to be a part of like – to be even on the outskirts of that of the second generation or maybe even third, I think if you're just from around here, it's kind of in your fiber a little bit. Yeah. You know, whether or not you're even in a band, if you're just hanging around, you're a part of it. Yeah, yeah, sure. You know? Yeah, I, I went to a, it's totally off the topic. I don't know why I just thought of this, but I lived down in Torrance for, for, um, for a while after I had gotten out of high school. And we took a trip one night out to Long Beach. The only time I've been to Long Beach before. I don't know where in the hell we were, but we ended up in the hood and I was, I was, I know I was the only white dude around there. And I thought for sure I, there was dudes shooting dice and, um, you know, we, we went to go buy some pot out there. I thought I was going to get shot for sure. And we go up to the door and, um, I'm thinking there's going to be some straight OG dude there that answers the door to sell us some pot. And it's this little nerdy ass white kid, like playing video games in his, in his room, but, uh, pretty comedy. The only time I've been to Long Beach, I know I'm totally getting us off, off topic here, but, um, Long Beach is a cool spot though, right? I mean, what else you, you have a lot of, you have a lot of different, uh, cultural things out there too. And yeah. things that are, um, uh, I guess have kind of set the tone, um, and, and birthed a lot of the music scene and then a lot of other things that have come, come out of there too. Yeah, well, well, first off, Shane, you, to, to go back to your horrible incident for a quick second, <laughs> for a quick second you should have just called me. I, I should have, damn it. I would have straightened you out quick and, and, and avoided you almost getting killed. Yes. Uh, but, you know, Long Beach is a massive city. I kind of yeah. comment about that in the film. Um, there's there's a ton of different there's a there's every culture that you can imagine here and you know you can also be in a good neighborhood here and within a split second be like holy shit where am I hmm, you know really, with, yeah. with a couple of eye blinks yeah. um, you got to kind of watch your ass around here I mean I live in a pretty decent neighborhood here but I shit you not just this morning just this morning I look outside my window there's a dude I swear to God I, I, he wasn't overdosing but his car is running he's passed out in the alley oh, and drive uh, head on a steering wheel drive a nice car yeah. and I had to call 911 wow. now it turns, out, it turns out the dude wasn't ODing but you think to yourself this shit goes down here oh yeah yeah sure um, and, you know um, so, you know, we got a lot going on in, in, in this town and um, you got to kind of watch your ass so it's cool though for you, I'm sure, in 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 you know having your roots there. Now you're coming up and you're getting to, you're getting to do recovery work. And I know you're doing it all over the place, but I'm sure it starts in your own community. Um, you're giving back. You're getting to do these, um, you know, these different events and, and speaking events, and and actually really reach out to uh, all kinds of people out there. What has that been like for you in coming from, um, you know, the 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 life of addiction that you lived before? You know. The outside of, of course, you know, sponsoring guys in the program, which of course is 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 one of the greatest things you can ever do in our program. Yeah. On a on a on a on a on a different level, on a community level, I think that um, taking this to a different level by way of the film and its message is something that um, it just it, it fills me up with so much joy. Yeah. And, and to for instance, uh, um, two weeks ago, Jim Noel and I and his daughter Kelly. We're at a community event. We showed the film, and Jim Knoll gave a great talk. I had a chance to talk. And, you know, you've got all these parents who are who are just 
they're looking for answers and we're there just to share our experience and, 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 um, you know, it, it's one of those things that we feel like we're connecting with people and, and to further that connection, Shane, what's really, really super important to me is, is what we're doing with the Knoll Family Foundation. And for those of you listening, you can go to the knollfamilyfoundation.org and it's a nonprofit foundation. And what it's, and what it's going to be is it's a, it's a small facility next year. We're going to open it and it's, it's dedicated to helping opiate addicted male musicians. It's going to be the only facility of its kind in the world. And, and the little place it's, it's called, it's going to be called Bradley's house. That's and, awesome. and, and it's, and that's, what's kind of being spawned as a result of, of, you know, us just doing this work of the film. It's like, you know what, let's have a legacy that lasts yeah. as a result of, the pain that we've all gone through, the pain that Jim Knoll and his family have gone through. Let's have something that stands. And by the way, this treatment center is not about making any money. This is to help dudes yeah. who have no money, who have no health insurance, and we have to do benefit shows. We're grinding right now, dude. Hmm. We're grinding yeah. just to open the doors, man. And so, you know, it's about giving back on some level to help to help that guy who literally um, – who's got an ounce of willingness, Yeah. who's jamming bass, drums, guitar, whatever the hell he's doing, like Brad was doing, who who, um, who wants a second chance. Yeah, man, that's that's just legit. I can't wait to see it uh, when it when you guys open up, uh, you know, and just that, um, just, it's just amazing, man. And I'm, I'm sure there is a grind in getting that, that amount of, um, you know, something together. There's a lot of work that goes into it. I know. So we'll do everything we can to help promote and, uh, and help spread the word about that for sure. Do you think that there's, do you think that there's almost, um, or possibly a turning point coming for, for, um, you know, people, musicians, artists, I mean, hopefully on a, on a large scale, just whoever the hell you are at that too. But if we're just talking about people that are, are creative artists, uh, maybe there's a turning point where, in circumstances like Brad's, um, how many how many times has that happened to other other musicians out there too? Um, are we seeing something where people are starting to get hip to the game and say, "Wait a minute, like this shit's not cool. Like being a dope fiend is not cool, and like I want to live a positive life. Like I want to be a musician. I want to be, um, you know, I want to do what I love for a living, and I'm not going to go down that path. And obviously, we're all trying to get there, and that's why we do the work that we do. I think, but. Do you kind of feel that, that there's maybe a, a shift going down that road? I think what we have is, I think we have a, a, a split. I think that there's a ton of artists out there who live by a code of they're just healthy in general. Yeah. And, and I actually think this is kind of the way it's always been. Um, we have a lot of artists out there, whether, whether they're musicians, actors and actresses. There's just a lot of people out there who are healthy by nature. Yeah. And, and, but with this thing, you're asking a really good question. But with this topic out there that's out there really, really now, it's that elephant in the living room that really is being talked about right now. I don't know if that's something that's even so much of a deterrent, but um, we're losing people all the time, Shane. And um, I just think that uh, – but you're right. No, it's no longer cool to be drooling on stage and those days of – artists freaking bailing uh, uh, you know the old time you remember axel rose used to show up four oh, yeah. hours to a show that, yeah that shit ain't cool no more yeah you can't be pulling that bullshit does not work for fans anymore yeah you can't be sitting there waiting for your headlining act you know starting at nine 
showing up at 1.30 a.m. It doesn't work anymore. <laughs> yeah. So that doesn't work. But as far as the artist, um, are they now kind of go, oh, that's scary. I think that um, – I still think there's a massive problem in the industry. Yeah. You know, I don't know who that guy was. Who was that, that emo rapper who just – Oh, yeah, the Little Peep or whatever? Little Peep. And I you saw know what? Some, yeah, I don't know much about him, but I saw that he – he died of a Xanax overdose. Yeah. You know, I think for every one of those guys, Shane, there's a hundred more of these guys that we don't know about sure. that are that are still chewing the morphine pills, whatever they're doing, and it's just going on, bro. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't want to lose one more of them, but it, uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't think it helps that it's uh, that it's it's glam glamorized to some extent you know and these youngsters who are coming out listening to 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 this music and i mean i don't mean to sound like old crusty bastard shane who's 36 now you know when i was in my 20s even my teens i was listening to two life crew and like too short and i mean i was listening to all that you know stuff that uh back then would you know a lot of the same stuff but i guess as you get older you start figuring out like man this stuff's just not it's not cool. You know what I mean? It's not cool to be talking about that kind of stuff and let alone doing it because it kills people. Yeah, man, that it, it, that's a really, uh, it, it's, it, I like what you just said and it, it and, and the shit just isn't sexy anymore. You know, yeah. I, I see, uh, cause I remember when I was like in my early twenties, especially mid twenties, it's like, God, you know, doing this stuff, it's kind of sexy for a minute. It's like, yeah. you, know, you know, you see the drugs on the table, you see the nice bottle of liquor. It's like, you know, I can, it looks kind of sexy for a yeah. second. And then, of course, in the morning, and there's nothing sexy about it. But now, when I see people who are older, who are really in the disease, or they're really partying, their eyes look really kind of screwed. There's nothing sexy about these people. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing attractive about a man or a woman who's just taxed. You know. I uh. So I don't. I don't want to glorify, and 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 we don't have to get into to war stories. You can tell as little or as much as you want. The floor is yours, but I think it is important to go back in your, you know, in, in your specific um, journey and talk about, you know, kind of what you went through and the depths of addiction that 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 really brought you to almost death. Um, and, and then and because it's amazing to where, where you are today. Can you kind of jump, take us back a little bit and tell us what that what that was like? Yeah, you mean as far as kind of like what brought me in, or kind of like the progressiveness of it? Yeah, I think I think the progressive progressiveness of it, and then when you were at the peak of your addiction, I know you, um, you know, you had owned a very successful insurance business, and and you were really thriving at the same time. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it was almost like you were living like this double life. You were super successful, yeah. but you were also like a full blown drug addict who was just fucking running and gunning like pedal to the metal nonstop. Yeah. Okay. Well, as uh, as most of us know who are listening, you know, I think uh, to bottom line it for a while, drugs and alcohol work for us. And and, and for a number of years, I'm going to say from like, uh, you know, first off, I drank and used for 24 years. Out of those 24 years, I I, uh, I popped, snorted, and, and chewed prescription narcotics for almost 17 years. And so from 1990, I'm going to say, till about 1998 or 1999, so for like eight or nine years, those prescription drugs worked. I functioned fairly well, okay? Yeah. I went from Vicodin to a hell of a lot of Norco, and then when I discovered OxyContin um, in like 90s, uh, what, 97 or 98, it, it changed the game for me. And um, so when I got into the Oxys, it um, – 
I really thought when I took that drug, I just thought I was being hugged by God, man. And um, and I'm not a religious guy. And at one point, I was, you know, for, for years, I was taking 400 oxys a month, 80 milligrams, so like 16 to 18 of those things a day. And I was chewing them. And this is at the time when you could take off the strip off the coating. And I was chewing them, uh, 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 snorting them, you know, and then, of course, chewing those things. And, um, and on top of that, you know, f- you know, 12 to 14 Norcos a day, uh, three fentanyls, three 800 milligram uh, microgram fentanyl sticks. Um, and this is for years. And you're still functioning while you were doing this. I mean, to, to so, an extent. No, no. For, for a few years, I managed to find, but I, for a few years I functioned and I kid you not, man, for like about two solid years, it was literally relegated to my home, like in my pajamas, just, um, watching terrible, terrible uh, shows relating to solving fucking forensic murder. <laughs> Drooling fucking granola and yoga. And like, oh, every, now and then, every now and then when I had the energy, I'd, I'd I had, dude, I had three cars. One of them, don't ask me why. I'm such a, such a jack off. Yeah. <laughs> Fourth Carrera in, uh, that I drove, I think, a total of 20 times. And I, I put the top down, my face all fucking sweaty and I'm smoking a big cigar. And, and, and I'm driving to Paula Casino with a bunch of freaking money and just loaded with oxys. Drive out to the casino and I drive back, swerving all over the highway. And um, so, you know, the, you know, what happened was, uh, you know, uh, Shane is the doctor. Ultimately, uh, one of the doctors that was prescribed me 240 oxys. He says, "Todd, he goes, I know you have another doctor. Oh. And I'm going to give you one warning. If you don't lose that doctor, you know, you're done." And he ultimately found out. He cut me off. And so, fuck. You know, if you're a drug addict and, and you can't find it, you're going to lose your mind. And of course, the other doctor ended up. I had a cash doctor. All this shit, man. And so you're just. And the drug stopped working on top of it, man. And and, yeah. and what happens, I'm scrambling, I'm finding more dealers, and I'm I'm I got morphine pills and I'm smoking big balls of heroin and I'm like eight thousand dollars a month on pills and, Damn. and uh, Yeah, dude. And, and and then of course the end, I'll fast forward to the end, was I was um I was literally seeing people in bushes and my heart was skipping beats. Um I was calling nine one one to report that I'm seeing a guy in a bush that I'm going to kill. And, um, but, and I'm just delusional. Yeah. That was my moment, bro, uh, where uh, I was, my head was fractured inside, you know, like nothing yeah. was. Working. Well, and I know from, I, I know from, uh, from, from the movie, um, you went through an extremely extensive recovery process. Um, <laughs> I think the doc, I think there was a point in there I can't remember if it was an interview I watched with you or if it was in the movie now, but where the doctor said, like, basically, I've never really seen anything like this. Like, you, you, you should be dead, pretty much. Um, well, what? Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, that, no, that was it. Go ahead. The uh, my detox. I, I'm today. I'm thankful for what I went through. I wasn't thankful then. Yeah. Um, yeah. My my physical detox was was just radical. It lasted a long time. Um, I didn't. I didn't sleep for 44 days, and and they couldn't get me to sleep. No matter how much medications they gave me, uh, you know, 800 milligrams of Seroquel, you know, a drug that's really meant to help you get to sleep, and they're giving me 10 times normal dose. And so, you know, and I shook for months and months. But shit, dude, I was on these, you know, almost two decades of this drug, those, yeah. these opiates, right? And so 
My head, here's the thing. My body was craving sleep, as you can well imagine. Yeah. But um, have you used opiates before, Shane? I have. Okay. So you know that when you stop using them, you really do want to sleep. But see, when we've been on opiates, we've slept forever. It's yeah. the opposite for a meth addict. They sleep for a fucking month when they get up. <laughs> for the yeah. opiate addict, you know, for the opiate addict, um, our brain is just, we are literally, it just it does not shut off when we yeah. stop using them. And on top of that, our skin discomfort and all these things we go through. So for uh, so my experience was um, my skin just did not stop crawling for months. My irritation of the skin was crazy. And my brain was so loud that I would lay in bed, but I just did not sleep for my first Yeah, I didn't sleep until April 1st. So I checked it on February 16th. I didn't sleep until April 1st. Well, I, I, I can remember, too, being um, uh, you're almost like in a zombie-like state where you're having these dreams, like the weirdest, craziest dreams, but you're you're not asleep, but you're yeah. but you are asleep at the same time. Like like you said, your brain does not shut off; it just continues continues yeah. to go. Yeah, I mean, people say people I think well, well, no, you're not walking around all the time with your eyes. I would lay with my eyes closed yeah. for uh, for twenty thirty minutes, but you're not sleeping. Yeah, you're not in REM sleep, and uh, and so I would just. You know, your your whole world is crumbling, you know, you're just crumbling and you're just, this is not happening. Your thoughts just are all over the place because you're not getting REM sleep. You're not dreaming. Yeah. You're just living in a fucking nightmare, man. So to get to the extent of where you're at, let, let's just say in those those last two years too, when it was just at the peak. Um, and I'm sure, you know, actually, I'm not sure of anything. Let me just ask the damn question. <laughs> um, <laughs> if... Um, how how much did you you were you were obviously very close with Bradley? Um, for those who don't know, Bradley Knowles from Sublime passed away of a heroin overdose um, in Pe- Petaluma, California, right? Or after a show in Petaluma? Um, yeah, the last show was in Petaluma. He passed away in San Francisco. In, in San Francisco, uh, yeah. The previous show was was in Petaluma. Um, you guys were very close. Like how how much do do you think or do you know um, that affected you and 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 that you know, in that aspect in losing your friend and then, and then continuing on the, the path that you were already on, but the excessiveness of it, I guess. Yeah. When he, he passed away in May of 96. And so I, I was at the time six years into using pills. And of course I would, I had always been drinking and doing cocaine. So they, I had, uh, the, uh, the loss of him, I, I'll speak for myself. It, it affected me tremendously. Yeah. But I'll also say this, it affected everyone tremendously. And uh, it was compounded even more by by the knowledge of, of him trying to, you know, make this phone call to me at 4 a.m. Um, and I'm pretty sure it was like the last phone call he made. And um, and what's funny is that it is here's the thing, man, is that he wasn't calling to shoot dope with me because he knew that I didn't use needles. Yeah, he was, he yeah. wasn't calling me for money. He had money. He wasn't calling me for heroin. He had heroin. I didn't have heroin. I wasn't yeah. using heroin at the time, and so it was. Um, you know, having you know, and you can probably relate to this, Shane. You know, when when we're drinking and using, we don't have a whole lot of whole lot of quality coping skills, and so yeah. um, so my coping mechanism was to, um, you know. I, of course, I, I, I was tremendously sad and grief-stricken and, and despondent like so many of us were. And I chose to um, completely, completely um, go significantly deeper. 
Um, and I was probably going to go deeper anyways because I was already addicted. Yeah. But but this certainly certainly um, was a it, it cut very very deep into my into my heart, um, and it was very um, it was a an extremely um, brutal time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I can only imagine, man. I'm sure that's not something anybody has to, wants to, should have to deal with. Um, but you did, and you you continue to do so. I'm sure that that. Uh, I mean, have you have you been able to work through that? Like, still, is that something you're still even after all these years having to work through, or what? Where are you where are you kind of at at with that? <laughs> you know, what's funny is that uh, I uh, you know I, I'm really close to. To, to Papa Noel, obviously, and yeah. um, this project has brought has brought back a little bit more than I'd like, if that really? makes sense. Yeah. Well, yeah, because we're visiting it, visiting it a lot, and but but I will say this, I actually uh, shit. This is actually the first time I'm sharing this publicly. Hmm. Uh, so I'll share. I don't care. Sure. Um, uh, at about ten months into the project, I actually had to. Um, do some work on a therapeutic level uh, about the whole incident, some deep, some deeper level stuff, because I was, I was starting to, um, I was, at, I, I, I treat with a therapist for my professional work, for my intervention work, yeah. and, I, and I trust this woman implicitly. And what was happening was I was, I was really starting to kind of break. Uh, I was exhausted from the film project, but I was really starting to. I guess um, becoming increasingly more sad, maybe over the event, um, and I was looking at some stuff that maybe I really haven't hadn't truly visited, hmm. truly looked at um, through the. Um, maybe there was some guilt I hadn't appropriately addressed, yeah. uh, and I thought that I had, and um, and I actually had to do. I did several sessions with. Um, and it, it, with with her and and essentially what she said was it was unaddressed PTSD, and really? it, yeah, it, and it was it, we did some heavy work behind it, um, and so I don't know if I'm if I'm answering am I taking the long way to answer your question? No, no, it's all good, man. You, no. you asked me, am I, am I still affected by it? Well, I guess I guess just I mean something of that of that magnitude and that you know something that can cause that much hurt and. Um, yeah. You know, like how that's got to be a long process to recover from that. And yeah, I guess kind of how are you still dealing with it? I mean, I, I, yeah, let me answer that. I, yeah. I, I, don't think, I don't think any of us will ever fully recover from it. Yeah. And 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 I think that um, I think I said this with the L.A. Times did an article recently. And I think that I think that's the best way I can always say it is I think there will always be like a bruise on my heart. Got it. Yeah. yeah. It's like I, I, I think there's just a there's a bruise there. Before there was a really big open wound. I think some of it's healed a bit, but I think there's just there's like you're still punched. Yeah, you know? sure. You still feel. I feel like Shane just kicked me in the in the chest a couple of times. Yeah. You know. <laughs> well, and I and I, I think because there's kind of another reason I asked that too. Number one, to get to to kind of hear your response, but number two, and we talked a little bit about this before we started recording, was in the in the film. Um, Bradley's son is in there and, and you have really been able to, um, you know, to, to kind of guide him down his own path and really create a relationship with him, uh, in as almost like, almost like an uncle and, uh, a, a, a recovery friend as well. Um, how has that been for you? And, and do you feel like, you know, 
you feel like there's almost like some redemption there in being able to, uh, to, to be there for him, even though his father's not there. Well, I'm sure as hell fucked up as drinking. For the rest of the <laughs> That's a good thing, right? <laughs> I, 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 I had a laugh with, uh, with, with Papa Noel and, and Janie Noel the other day. I said, you know <laughs> You know, if anything else, man, I sure have. If that's the, if that's the best I've done, man. So, uh, no, um, and <laughs> you know, I, I often think about how hard uh, uh, it must be to be a, a, a young man his age to to be getting sober, and yeah. and I also think too about how hard it must be to, to be Bradley Noel's son. You know, yeah. um, there's so many people who like to. Um, you know, they like to compare and all of these things. It must be hard to be. It, it, there's a lot of things that, that, that you often, you, you know, you know, what's that old saying? You know, you don't really know until you've walked a mile in someone's shoes. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, so I, I sometimes overlooked that uh, when I was doing a lot of my work with him. And I always need to remind myself that you, you got to put yourself in his shoes. And, um, and uh, even though there's a lot for him to be grateful for, there's also a lot of, I think, pressure that you have to identify too. Yeah. And so, so he grew up with this, um, you know, he, he really grew up with this thing where so many people loved him, and, and I think in some ways just overloved him. Hmm. You, does that make any sense? Yeah. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm saying some exterior people would not really truly knowing him. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I think I think people. Um you know, people from they they looked at at Brad as like this idol, this this larger than life figure through his music and through what uh, he accomplished in the in the in the time that he was creating. And I think um, what you're getting at, and correct me if I'm wrong, is people almost transferred that into his son um, in being like the next generation or the you know the the product of that. Maybe is that is that kind of fair? Yeah, you know, at, at the end of the day, uh, we have to remember that we're all human beings, and yeah. and. Um, and, and I, and I've truly, you know, in some ways, and you meet some really crazy people on the way, and, and that's what you know, fan stands for, fanatical. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. You take it to levels of it's like, you know, I knew Brad intimately, and 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 I can understand uh, the appreciation for his talents and his music and stuff like that. But yeah. behind closed doors, behind closed doors, I also know a lot of suffering. Yeah. Okay. There yeah. was suffering. There was there were some challenges there too. People fucking overlooked that shit. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, we're talking about a man who possessed what I consider one of the sweetest sounding voices I've ever heard, and that's not, oh, and yeah. that's and that's not just because I loved him so much. It's just because he had this sweet, soulful voice, yeah. and he could guitar like a mother. And on top of it all, he could blend chemically this music that was so original. Oh yeah, nobody will ever be able to top that. Sorry. Yeah. Good fucking luck. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And he was this magician, and so were his cohorts. You know, he and Bud and Eric could really magically, you know, make this collection of just wonderful music. Yeah. And um, the outside of that, you got to remember, we're talking about human beings here. And so, um, so when, I'm, when I was, you know, when I'm dealing with 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 um, Jacob, I think that there was a lot of pressure put on him from the get go. Yeah, and it's so. I think it's a big deal for him to be sober just to begin with. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause he's, yeah. a, he's a musician too, right? I mean, he's a great musician. Jesus, dude. 
Have you heard him sing? Yeah, I heard him on the on the. Um, I don't know if it was on the doc. I watched some YouTube videos too. It was one or the other. But yeah, he's a phenomenal singer. Yeah. He's just great. When we get off this thing, man, I'm I'm gonna get your uh, mailing address. I'm gonna ship you a couple of DVDs because oh, we love that. Got some bonus footage. You won't believe because uh, we got I think three or four songs on the DVD that's uh-huh. got Jacob uh, uh, not only just on acoustic but then with his band. It, it, it'll bend your mind how well he sings, dude. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, that'd be awesome, man. I'd love that. Absolutely, bro. Uh, absolutely. But, uh, no, he, I'm really super proud. Uh, and on top of it all, the direction that he's taking as as an artist because, you know, he could easily just uh, play the same style uh, of his dad's music, and he's not. He's got a very unique sound with his band. and. Yeah. Uh, and hell, he could drop it all off tomorrow and just talk to Eric and Bud, and they could form Sublime. <laughs> I mean, he's he's, he's yeah. good, bro. And you know, you know what else is really cool about that, uh, Todd, is that, like, you know, here, here he is, Jacob, and he's, you know, he's he's a musician. He's got this thing going on. He's sober. He's got a, a good. It sounds like he's got a great surrounding um, support group around him to help keep him on that humbleness we talked about earlier and stay on the right track. You know, I'm not trying to put anything on the guy or anything, but he really does have an opportunity to do just what we were talking about earlier and spread that love and that hope and that support that you can do music and you can be sober and you can you can love it and you can actually be successful and do what you love and not have to touch a drug or a drop of alcohol to do that. And I think that is really, really cool. Yeah, man, he he could really in fact uh uh papa noel and i have had that talk with him several times and that he could be a part of a of of a really serious wave of absolutely new generation artists that's like not only not only um can he be successful in his own right standing on his own music and his own creativity but sober and also if you think about what the legacy of of his wonderfully talented father who died of this disease? Are you fucking kidding? Oh yeah, unbelievable. I mean, think about the power. Think about the power. Uh, the powerful um, thread of that story. You know, here here he is, a young man who's gotten sober, kicking aside those demons, lost his father. Think about the triumphant nature of that story. Yeah, it's um, huge. I mean, it's freaking. I mean, that's Hollywood. That that's a story. Yep. Dude. Maybe someday. Maybe someday. You never Maybe know. Someday. Yeah, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I just want to sit on the sidelines and and I want to root for him and certainly yeah. be there for him and um and 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 you know just be there for him to support him. You know. So what's up with the Z-Man podcast, man? When did you launch that and uh, how, how how's that going, man? You have some great guests on there. I got to catch a couple of them. Uh, God, man. A week ago. You know, we we started doing that I think in August, and um, we've been we've been doing one a week. We we've taken a couple of weeks off, and it's something that. Uh, by the way, you're doing a great job, man. I I you, you you're you're good, Shane. <laughs> I've been doing it a while, man. I'm I'm trying, man. I'm doing my best, man. I love I love learning and just getting better, man. That's all I can do, you know. I think that you're I think that you're doing a great job as a as a freaking DJ podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's fucking hilarious. I a lot from you as we speak. Um, well, thank you. Uh, you know, I've been enjoying it a lot, man. In fact, it's one of those things that I've uh, I feel it's a calling for me. I actually yeah. want I want to develop it. I want to grow it, and um, I find that um, 
I, I, I get a lot of joy in, in, in like, like how you're doing what, what like how you're doing it. Let's just talk about this is yeah, yeah. letting it go organically and, and you don't force anything. You're just, I like the, the natural feel about how you run it. And, um, and it's kind of cool when you're, when you're doing it with someone, you just, you know, you kind of let them go and they start to get off a little bit. You kind of reel them in and, um, people are interesting and I like bringing on people who are really interesting. Yeah. Who have yeah, yeah. Stories. And, um, so, you know, we've had some good people on, man. Um, I, uh, I, I believe next this, in a few weeks, we're going to have Mike McGreedy from Pearl Jam. Oh, nice. That's going to be sick. I've got a very good buddy of mine who is extremely close with him. Um, I've had the pleasure to surf with McCready uh, a couple of years back, and he's just a really good dude. And uh, yeah, man, we've got some good good stuff coming yeah. up here in the next weeks. Yeah. Um, have you had Bob Forrest on? Yeah, well, it's funny you mentioned Bob Forrest. I haven't, and yet the, the gentleman who who does our recording, uh, our recording engineer, um, uh, Mike Mart, is does Bob Forrest show. Oh, uh, nice, Mike, nice. And Mike Mart is also the, the former bandmate uh, uh, for Bob Forrest from Felonious Monster. Yes, yes. We uh, he, he's, a, he's a great guy. I just had a chance to have him on uh, a couple episodes ago, 160 okay. or something like that. Yeah, and he was great, man. He was hilarious. And, and I think that the reason I bring that up is, number one, to, to plug the show, of course, but also um, because you talked about interesting people and having people who are real on and who, who really don't give a fuck, who are just open to having a good conversation. Yeah. And he's definitely one of those guys. And I, I'm with you in that. It is, it's fun. And I almost, I almost equate doing these podcasts and having these conversations. You know, it's great because we get to get a good message out there. We get to have a little bit of fun, but at the same time, I'm a musician too. One of my favorite things was always just to jam. Like, let's jam. Let's have a jam session. Let's see where the hell it goes. And th this is like a different, uh, it's, like a, it's like a cousin to that almost, I feel like, in, in doing these. So, I mean, I get to have a lot of fun doing them too. Yeah, man. I, I'll tell you what would be epic, and, and, and I know it's, it would just be so tough to get it. It would be great to have some like Eminem on. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and it would. And, you, know, you know, the guy's got a few years sober now. And, yeah. Um, and, but but it'd be so bitching, you know, you know, uh, it it just there's be bitching to have a guy like that on. Oh yeah, and there and there's all kinds of guys like like that that I think about like yeah, who's that? He's just tough to get a hold of him. Oh yeah, I'm sure. I didn't even hear about him for years until he put out that that freestyle thing um, a couple of weeks back or whatever. But I didn't I didn't know what he, if he was still working on projects or what. Um, I would I would love to I actually a buddy of mine in LA who's who's in in a very high level music manager he he knows Eminem's manager and oh, I was really? going to, I was going to get him the film oh no shit oh that'd be awesome man he'll love it it's a, it's a great film man <laughs> yeah Eminem's deal he fucking loved freaking prescription painkillers that's oh, what yeah. he's, that's what he's in recovery from yep Eminem if he, if he gives it a chance to watch it'd be like fuck this dude from <laughs> he'll be I'll like meet this guy. Bring him to Eight Mile. Even yeah, though he doesn't have an Eight Mile. I don't think. <laughs> I think he owns Eight Mile. Yeah, I think he does. Probably. Well, cool. What? What? Um. Any other projects? Um. Any Any links you want to share with us other than uh, the the video? Uh, I know you can go to the thelongwaybackfilm.com and get it there. What else are you working on, Todd? Okay. Uh. The The two most important things. Uh, again. Um. Number one is the nolfamilyfoundation.org. Um, uh, you know, this next year we, we're going to have in, a, in just a few months, we're going to have our first music benefit. We're still waiting uh, uh, for some dates. Publicity will get behind that. Again, you guys, the Knoll Family Foundation org. If you can 
throw a couple of bucks. You you guys check it out because we had the Bradley's House T-shirt original artwork by Opie Ortiz, the guy who did the all you know did nice. Brad, all the tattoos and forty ounce the freedom tattoos. Um, uh, excuse me, artwork. But um, you know the other thing is, is if you guys ever need a public speaker, I I travel all over the country. Uh, speaking about the film and about the message. And so you guys can check me out at toddzalkins.com. And um, again, toddzalkins.com or follow me on Instagram at toddzalkins. Cool, man. Last question for you, Todd, and then we'll wrap this thing up. Yeah. Um, someone out there struggling right now, maybe it's them, maybe it's a family member. They don't know what the hell to do. They don't know what to turn to. Um, they're, having, they're having a day today, man, and they're hearing this. Uh, what would you tell them? Oh my gosh! Um, I failed to leave. I failed. And forgive me. Uh, I left that too. Um, if you're first off, if you're, if you're struggling, there is hope. Um, there is hope. In fact, uh, that intangible thing of, of, of feeling that there is hope is the most important thing that, that I can ever offer to someone who has that thing called hopelessness. And um, and if there's someone out there who's sick or suffering, please feel free to message me. Uh, um, uh, on my website at toddzalkins.com because that's something that we do is help coordinate resources and that's something that we take a great deal of pride and pleasure in doing is directing people to get help so forgive me for leaving that out um, but there's absolutely hope if a fool like me can somehow get sober <laughs> uh, 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 you guys can do it and, it and it's super important for you guys to know that that uh, that there's a, a shot at getting well and uh Gosh darn it. Shane, isn't that right? That's right, baby. That's right. There's always <laughs> hope. I love it. That's the first thing you started with. There's hope. So don't forget that there's hope. Don't ever give up. Uh, Todd Z-Man Salkins, much appreciated, my friend. Thank you for coming on Sober Guy Radio. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>